This is episode 75 with ultra runner and author Katra Corbett. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. Patrick Corbett, also called the Dirt Diva, has run over 260 ultra marathons and over 137 hundred mile runs. That's a hundred miles straight. Katra's reason for running is powerful and how she started even more powerful. Katra's a former addict. She hit her bottom in a jail cell. When she got sober, she quickly started running and since then has set numerous records, won tons of races, and she's climbed routes on El Cap most people would never go near. Catcher also has a huge following, and it's not just because of her awesome and honest outlook on life or her vibrant style. You should see this girl's piercings, hair, and just colorful outfits. But Catra often runs with her trusted doxy dog. His name is Truman. And Truman has a huge following as well. Catra recently penned a book. It's called Reborn on the Run, which just hit shelves in May. We talk about her story, being an unlikely runner, how she shared her most intimate truths and why, advice on training and staying fit in your 50s, and so much more. Enjoy. I just want to start with kind of your why. Anybody who's done over 100, 100 mile races has to have a really strong why. That is a good question. The why is because I can, and I love being out in the wilderness. That's the main reason why I do this is because I love being out in nature. It has more to do with that than the actual running the races for me. I just feel like a peacefulness when I'm out in the mountains and running around. And then of course, being around the people, that's just a, you know, an added bonus, but I just do it because I, I love being out in the wilderness and I don't, you know, I feel like I have a second lease on life and I don't want to miss anything. So I just love being out there. So I know you just wrote about this in your awesome book, which I loved and read in three sittings, which is really good for me. You know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you got into running, because I think you have a really powerful story that will resonate with a lot of listeners. Yeah. So I was never an athlete. I actually hated running. Um, when I was in high school, I got an F in PE. I mean, who gets an F in PE, right? I mean, it was because I didn't want to dress. <laughs> I did, you know, and people laugh at that now. They're like, you? It's like, I didn't want to dress in those ugly clothes and I was not going to sweat and run around the track. That's just not what was going to happen. So I was kind of the typical like party girl, you know, like to go dancing and clubbing and so I started working, you know, when I got out of high school, I ended up dropping out and I went to cosmetology school. And, and this was the 90s? Yes, in okay. the 90s. Okay. So the end of the 80s, I was, I got my uh, cosmetology degree and started working in salons. And then I moved in, I moved to San Jose and was working in a salon there and dating somebody. And I was in like a verbally and mentally abusive relationship. And that kind of ended and I ended up with this other guy and he was like a party guy. He was in a goth band and 
I didn't know at the time, but he was selling speed. And most of my friends knew that I was not into that actually. And I was more of the drinker and I used to get drunk and don't remember shit that would happen. That's the kind of drinking I used to do. <laughs> it's like people would carry me home and, you know, it's like, Oh shit, what did I do? I mean, it was bad. So I got, so I was dating him and one night we were all going to go to, um, LA and everybody was doing lines. And I was like, you know what? Let me, let me have some, I'll do it. And at the time I, d- I found out he was selling it. I was like, Oh, who cares? I mean, I was just in a weird funk in my life. And so I did it and it, you know, I didn't really like it in the beginning. And at one point I was at a concert and I felt really shitty and, you know, I was coming off a of speed and I used to only just do it on the weekends. And I ended up, you know, my friend's like, oh, if you just do some now, you'll feel better. So basically I did it that next day and I did feel better. And kind of after that, I kept doing it. So, you know, I, I was doing drugs, partying for really hard. I mean, I, I, I got really addicted very, very quickly. And so that went on for a couple of years. And basically a friend of ours had gotten busted by the cops and he didn't want to turn in his big dealers, you know, because that would mean, you know, those guys might come after him and hurt him really bad. So he lied and he gave our names because he he hadn't bought it from us. It it was just, he did a sell over the phone. And I happened to be on the phone when the cops call, you know, the cops were there with him when he had called me and I did the sell over the phone. So like three days later, like an episode of cops, these people come busting down the door and (laughs) rounding up the whole family and putting them in the living room. And we got arrested and they went to jail and sitting in that jail cell. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, how, how did I get here? Like, what, what did I do? You know, what am I doing with my life? And so You know, I was lucky enough that when I got out, I got drug diversion. I went to court and they gave me a drug diversion program. And a lot of times they usually charge the, you know, the boyfriend, girlfriend combo with the same thing. And since I hadn't had a record and I had a job and, you know, all of that, they decided that they were going to give me drug diversion. But that meant I had to do drug testing every week and I had to go to AA or NA meetings every single day and get this like paper signed off. So that's when I got clean and sober. And so I started working out. I became a vegan at that time and I had a dog that I used to walk and he was a dachshund. I always had dachshunds. And one day after about two years of just like working out in a gym and taking the dog, you know, four miles here and there, I thought, I'm going to try running. I want to be a runner. And it, I don't know how or why or where did the heck did it come from, but I just like got bored with walking. So the next day I went out and I didn't even have running shoes yet or anything like that. And I ran around the block the three miles and came home and thought, oh my God, I ran. And so went out, bought running shoes and two weeks Less than, it was like two weeks later, I saw a flyer. Actually, I was at Barnes and Nobles, and this is back way back in the day, like 96. And there was like a flyer on a wall. There was no internet really back then to look up like races and things like that. And there was a flyer, you know, for this uh, carousel to coaster 10K, and they had a 5K. And so I told my mom, I said, why don't you do this 5K walk and I'll do the 10K run? So two weeks after I started running, I ran a 10 K and, um, when I got done, I felt 
you know, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. I didn't know anything about pacing and I just ran really fast and it was really hot and I was wearing all black because I was still a goth at that point, you know, <laughs> black hair and white skin. And I didn't know you're supposed to drink water and, you know, whatever. So I got to my car and on my vehicle, there was a flyer for the San Francisco marathon. So I decided, Oh, I'm going to run a marathon and had no clue about how far it was. And I asked a friend of mine, Kevin, I'm like, dude, how far is the marathon? I, I mean, I knew of Boston and New York and all of that, you know, on TV and had seen those races. And he's like, Oh, it's like 26 miles. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do that in three months. So that's how it all started basically. And I went to Barnes and Nobles after I signed up for that marathon and bought a book on how to train for your mer- first marathon. And it, I only had three months to train for it. So I had to skip all the way to the chapter ahead that said what your long runs are supposed to be. So, and this is before GPS, Barman, any of these fancy schmancy things that we all have now. <laughs> this is back in the olden days. I had to get in my car and set my odometer to draw. I was going to run nine miles because that's what the book said. You had to run nine miles on your Sunday long run. So I set my odometer and went halfway out and it would happen to be, there was gas station there. So I was like, perfect. I'll know when I have to turn around tomorrow. And that was it. The next day I did my nine miles and started training from there. And that's how it all started. Wow. (laughs) Getting arrested, spending time in jail and, wanting to do something different and change my life and be a better person. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story. There's actually been several people who are recovering addicts on this show. And I think there's like a theme in the outdoors and especially endurance events that are really alluring if you have somewhat of an addictive personality. Do you have any advice that really helped you when, you know, you were really struggling with addiction? Yeah, well, I... First and foremost, I had a really good therapist that I went to, and basically, I addressed all my past issues and you know got through that because I wanted to go forward in life. And a lot of times we we sit and we keep talking about the past, but for me, it was like I just want to go forward now. You know, I've got this out, and I'm feeling good about talking about things that happened in the past. And so, being out in the wilderness, I mean, I started based running on the road, but it wasn't until I started running the trails like a year and a half after I started running that that's, that was my main therapy. That is where I felt that I could think about things, plan things, solve problems out there and just, you know, clear my mind basically. And so running on the trails is what, what really helps me. And I I believe it helps a lot of people. And like you said, a lot of us who are endurance athletes, if we have a, a past addiction, we are pretty intense <laughs> and, you know, just being out in the wilderness really helps kind of keep, it keeps me clean and sober. You know, running has really saved my life. I always say that. I mean, it was out running. Who knows? So you've done over a hundred, hundred mile races. How, how many have you done today? So, and that includes or more. <laughs> so that includes. I know like, you've done more. Yeah. So what's that number? So 137, Holy. 137 as of two weeks ago when I did Beyond Limits Ultra, which I ran 192 miles and I was first place female. Of course you're first place. And fourth overall. So you're beating all everybody. (laughs) You're doing these really gigantic races and you're over, are you 50 or over 50? I'm 53. You're 53 and you look damn young. So I don't know what it is. 53 is a new 33. (laughs) 
So, okay, first, let's just talk about how you look, because how you look is pretty incredible. I read that you have over 50 tattoos, over 25 piercings, pink hair still? Pink, purple, orange. Yeah, no, it has, I have like seven colors in my hair, to be honest, when I get it colored. Rainbow. I love <laughs> so it. It's, yeah, it's, it's all colors of pink, orange, purple. You know, I don't have blue or green or anything like that in it right now, but yeah, there's seven colors in there. Awesome. So you look different on the trail than the normal trail runner, which is why I really like your story as well, because we're in this age where people who don't look like traditional runners are taking up running. I mean, we had Myrna Valerio on recently and, you know, she, she advocates for being any size and running happy and Myrna's awesome. Yeah, she's cool. I, I, she was at a hundred K I was at uh, awesome. a few years ago. I was doing the hundred miler, but she is very impressive. So even when I started running, I was like, ah, everything is so boring because I've always been into like style and fashion. And when I was in the golf scene, I was always like deconstructing clothes. So I'd go to the thrift store and cut things apart and sew and make them into cool outfits and, you know, do it my own way. And so when I started running, I was like, ah, no, I wish they had like running skirts, and running dresses and things like that. And they didn't. So they had like tennis players, I always thought, oh, they have cute outfits. Why yep. can't running clothes look like how the tennis players have these little mini skirts and stuff? So I, back in the day, was buying like tennis skirts and wearing those here and there. And then I started taking apart my running shorts and making them into skirts. So I would just cut through where the legs were and just sew it. And then it was like a skirt. You know, I, you know, like how they used to make jean skirts out of, you know, jean shorts, yep. same concept. So you just cut the crotch out and you make it into a, into a skirt. So I started doing that and I've always liked really colorful things and fun things because when I'm out there for hours on end, I feel like it makes me, it makes me feel better when I look good. Just like when you, you know, take care of yourself and you, you have something nice on, you're like, Oh, I feel good. You know? So I kind of, that same mental for my my running I'm like I'm not the fastest person but I want to be the funnest person out there and I make people smile they they see me at a race and they're like oh my god I just love what you're wearing you know you look so cute and you look so fun and it's like yeah I like you know being colorful and flamboyant that's my personality anyways I mean it's how I dress normal too you know I'm very colorful and fashionable in my own little way no, I'm, I'm big on this style as affecting your attitude. I, I think it's huge. It and totally, it totally helps. It definitely helps. So what's really cool too, is that your, your style, now you have like this extra almost accessory. That's your dog Truman who runs oh. with you. <laughs> who's accessory. about the most amazing accessory you could ever have. I'm his accessory. What are you talking about? It's all about the Truman show. It's nothing to do with me. I mean, I go, I was running a 50 K last weekend and they're like, where's Truman? It's not like, Hey, Catra, how are you? It's like, where's Truman? It's like, well, he's not here. <laughs> he's at home. Truman. Maybe you just quickly tell people the story of Truman, your, your doxy. Of course. So Truman came to me as a rescue. So I, like I mentioned before, I've had dachshunds and actually that started with the ex-boyfriend I was arrested with. His family was dachshund people. So that's how I got into dachshunds, this breed. And so we broke up and we kind of had a joint dog there. It was a family dog and he got me my own dog. And so I went through, you know, a couple of dachshunds. He passed away and then I had this other one named Rocky. And when he passed away, I was just like, no, I don't want another dog. And I was 
renting a room from a good friend of mine and he was retired and, you know, he really liked Rocky. And so he decided, I told him, I said, why don't you do a, a dog rescue? And I said, specifically dachshund rescue. And he was volunteering at the shelter. And then he goes, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do that. So he started volunteering for dachshund rescue. So we'd get these dogs that would come in and we'd prep them and write reports on how they were doing. So that way we could get them available and ready for adoption. So I'd take them out running and, you know, and make sure they were good around other dogs and good around people out on the trail. And just, you know, you do various things just to get them ready to go into a good home. And so Truman came, he was about the fourth one. And so Truman came and I had no intention of getting a dog and he had messaged me and I was out running in Yosemite and he goes, okay, he goes, I know you're on your way home. He goes, there's, we got a foster uh, who came today and he said, he's going to be hiding. He's really afraid. He's afraid of everything. He is going to be hiding. So when you get home, feed him, but you're going to have to try to find him. He'll be behind a couch or something. And so I came home and I looked behind the couch and there was this in a little ball shaking like a leaf. I was like, Oh my God, what's wrong with him? So I kind of sat there and waited for him to kind of come out around and he, he got to the point, you know, it took about 15 minutes and he kind of poked his head out and poked his head out and he's, you know, would inch just a little bit. And then finally I thought, well, he's not going to come all the way out. I got to take him out to feed him. So I made him some food and I sat him in a chair and I sat him next to me and then he was able to eat. So I started working with him. Like I said, no intention of keeping him. I was just going to get him ready for somebody else and let him have a good life sitting on somebody's lap once I got him, you know, acclimated to being around people and things. And I mean, he couldn't even go out the front yard. He was so afraid of cars, vehicles. So I worked with him and I couldn't take him walking around the block. So I would carry him until we'd get away from the traffic in the cars and then set him down and walk him a little bit. But he constantly would put on the brakes. And so one day I thought, I'm going to take him over the trailhead and I'm going to bring him up there and I'm going to take him off leash and I'm going to start running and see if he follows me. So I got to the trailhead, I sat him on the ground and he kind of just stood there for a minute and I looked at him and I just started running and he turned around and started running with me. And I was like, whoa. So it started from there. And then I realized, you know, it got time to like write his resume bio thing up for the the dachshund rescue. And I thought, I don't think so. I'm going to keep him (laughs) because I felt so bad for him. And I put so much work into him that I knew he would go to a good home, but he would sit there for the next half of his life. And I thought he has sat and hid in fear for six and a half years of his life that this dog is going to see the world. And so that's, that's what I did. I worked with him and before you knew it, he was running a 10 K half marathons, 50 Ks. It's such a good story. That was probably one of my favorite parts of your books is is a story about Truman. And now he runs ultra marathons. And they say that, you know, you said in your book that people say that these types of dogs shouldn't run that far. Exactly. Well, and the funny thing is, because he has a great vet, veterinarian, and the problem with them is jumping. So they jump up and down and go up and down steps and they get spine issues from mostly all that down, running down steps and things. My vet and other veterinarians that I know have said the best thing for them is to keep them thin and actually run them because they're low to the ground and it keeps the weight off and it's not damaging them. And he's gotten x-rays of his spine. Last year I started doing the x-rays and I'm going to do it every year now. And my vet said he looked hard for 
any kind of like gray area in there in the x-ray. And he said nothing. He goes, even at this age, even if he didn't run at all, you would see something. You know, like uh-huh. most normal dachshunds have some sort of spine thing, you know, just like a maybe an arthritis building up or anything. But he said, you know what, whatever you're doing with him, keep on doing. So, And he takes supplements and things like that. Oh, I'm sure he gets hooked up too. I'm sure he's like a sponsored yeah, dog. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Good yeah. for him. Yeah, he is in excellent shape. I mean, he ran his fastest time this year in a 50K and I decided, you know, and they're flat 50Ks, the five that he's done, but he did a 645. Wow. So uh, I decided, yeah, he's, he's good. I don't think he needs to run that far anymore. You know, he's 12 now and he's still good for 20 miles and he's never, ever like showed me any kind of issues. Like he's having faltering when he's out running and even this year, but I've just decided for me that that's good enough for him now. We're going to take a quick break to hear about our sponsor. When we come back, Catcher offers advice for those who want to run, what she eats, how she's coped with an eating disorder, and we talk about her book. This episode was brought to you by REI Co-op, a brand that's big on protecting where we play outside. As stewards of the outdoors, REI gives away 70% of all profits back to the outdoors. Since 1976, REI has invested more than $77 million through partner nonprofits to create, improve, and sustain access for all to inspiring outdoor places. They're also incredibly eco-friendly. REI uses 100% renewable energy to operate, and they built the first largest and most sustainable net zero energy and LED platinum distribution center in the country. On top of that, REI has partnered with over 66 brands in the outdoor industry to enhance the sustainability of their products. Their motto, a life outdoors is a life well lived, is something I definitely stand by. You can learn more, take classes, go on experiences, find a store near you, and get the gear you want to get outside at REI.com. Your dog seems pretty fast, but I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how fast do you run per mile, like a hundred mile race? It depends. I mean, so my fastest hundred mile time is 21 hours and 22 minutes. And that's not fast. I mean, the, some of our fastest people are like doing on a flat course or like 15 and 16 hours. So I've never figured out that's the minute per mile. I mean, in... And hundred mile races with lots of climbing, like a 36 hour cutoff, you would be needing to do around three miles an hour. But of course you're doing more, you're doing more in the beginning, you're going faster, but you know, that's, that's basically the rule of thumb for these mountain hundreds. You got to be doing three miles an hour. I mean, towards the end to be able to keep on pace, to be able to make through all the cutoffs. So what are some of your tricks that you've been able to run for so long and to such long endurance events. I mean, even at, at 53, that's incredible. I mean, you must do incredible injury prevention. You eat well. Like, what are some of your tricks? So, I, like I said, I'm vegan, and I've been a vegan since I before I started running. When I got clean and sober, I became a vegan right at the same time. I was a vegetarian, and then so, so the whole time I've been running, I've always been vegan. I don't know any other way. And I think eating clean like that, taking – good supplements, working out is very important to me, doing weight training. And that's something I've always done when I got clean and sober before I ever started this running journey. I was already working out in a gym. And I think 
keeping your muscles strong around your, you know, joints and your, you know, tendons and all of that definitely helps you. If you just run and that's all you do, I think those people tend to get more injured than people that also work out in a gym because you're keeping your body, you know, healthy. And even my brother, who's a personal trainer, he said that is why he thinks I have such the longevity is because good genetics probably. And he said, because of the way I eat and working out in the gym, like I do. So, and I'm not big on stretching because people always ask me that. And I was doing that 192 miles when I, at the 72 hour race and there was massage people there. So I stopped and got a massage and the woman's like, you're so limber. I'm like, really? She goes, do you stretch a lot? And I said, no. (laughs) So I do work out in a gym and I also have like these recovery pump boots and those definitely help, I think. And just taking like turmeric, I take a lot of that and just natural anti-inflammatory things and don't eat a lot of inflammation causing foods because that's the main thing is when you have a lot of inflammation in your body, you have soreness, you can get injured easier. And so, I, I mean, I've had minor injuries, but nothing really running related. I mean, I've, I have a hamstring injury, but that was from like CrossFit. It was never from running. It just creeps up on me in races sometimes. And I had a shoulder injury and that was from working out in the gym too. And I broke my arm climbing El Cap. So nothing really injured. And I broke two toes and that was walking into the wall. It wasn't anything. So not even like tight IT bands or overly tight. Everybody gets that, but it's just, no, I think because of what I do for the after, like the Epsom salt baths when I do the long runs and just you know, like using natural anti-inflammatory muscle spray. And I just gotten really, lo- I'm lucky. And I do, and I do know that. I mean, not everybody can go for um, 20 years doing ultras without having some kind of injury. And I run every day. I've been on a running streak for over five years now. Every single day. You don't miss a day. Nope. haven't missed a day. And the only time I almost missed a day is when I was in China, I was in the airport and I had to put my stuff on a luggage cart. It was like at night when I arrived and I was still keeping my time based on California time because of traveling. So it was like, it would have got too confusing. So I had a layover in one of the airports in China and they, they have luggage places where you check your stuff in, but it was late at night. It was closed. So I put my my two suitcases on to one of those luggage carts and I ran up back and forth, back and forth, back and through the airport. I mean, it was at night and people were kind of sleeping, but they were just watching me. And I'm sure all the Chinese people were like, what a crazy, weird tattooed woman running through the airport. (laughs) But I figured if I ran 30 minutes, I would get a few miles in and that was fine. You know, and that's what I did. I just ran around the airport in the cart. So I just took a couple of tips from you. One, just run every day. Two, stretching, meh. Importance is, you know, cross training, keeping your muscles fit, Epsom salt baths, your diet. So I read that you were a fruitarian. Is that true? Like a fruitarian five days a week and on the weekends you had nuts and veggies. Exactly. So, you know, I do eat cook stuff on the weekends because I was really bored. I was a fruitarian for almost three years and then I got really bored with it. And there was nothing wrong. I mean, the diet was great, but I was just like, you know, I just got over it at some point. So I try to mostly eat raw and mostly my diet all through the morning until like at night is basically fruit. You know, I, that's what I mostly eat. And then at night I'll have vegetables, you know, have a salad and, you know, for snack, I usually have tomato and avocados cut up and fruit. So that's mainly what I'm eating. And then on the weekend I'll add like quinoa and 
I don't eat gluten and wheat. I'm, I avoid that because I have intolerance and soy. So, so my diet has been that way since I became a vegan. Like 24 years ago, it was harder to be that kind of vegan because I had the intolerance. And I, when I became vegan, I was like, why am I still sick? I have diarrhea. I'm bloated. I'm not feeling good. And found out, you know, by doing a mono food diet, what I had an issue with. And once I eliminated those things out of my diet, I felt so much better. Interesting. And so what about during a race? Do you just eat fruit or do you have like gels and bars? I I eat, eat, yeah. And I eat like potatoes and salt. And at night they have vegan soup, you know, lentil soup. I'll eat that stuff. And I do use this company called Muir Energy. They're out of Southern California and they make, it's more like a, it's molasses, not in a pasty it, it, yeah, they use molasses in it and dates, and and they have very limited ingredients and they're organic and it's a great company, non-GMO, vegan, you know, no wheat, gluten, any of that stuff in it. And they're great because they make different flavors like pineapple and kale. They have a blackberry and thyme. Then they have like cacao and almond and lemon, and they use mate in some of them. So, yeah, it's more like a food. I tell people when they buy them, I'm like, it's thicker than a gel. You know, because gels are very syrupy and it's just like very sugary tasting. These don't, these taste like nutrition. And then I use, there's a company called Bearded Brothers and they use very limited ingredients in their bars too. So I like to use those. And that's pretty much it. I know, you, you know, at the aid stations, the potatoes and bananas and whatever fruit they have. But I have my, I just use the same things over and over. So that way I don't have problems. I use baby food packets. Those are really easy to digest. You know, and I'll even get the ones for the 200 mile races. I'll use like the, the ones with like oatmeal in it, gluten-free oats in it. And they're like more of like a food. So I'll use those. And in those races too, a lot of people think, God, how do you feel for 200 miles? They have chefs. Like you come in and you want a vegan gluten-free burger. They're going to cook it up for you right there. You know, you, it, you go sometimes like five hours in between aid stations. So you got to carry what you need. And then when you come into an aid station, everybody kind of sits down and regroups and eats and then goes again. Wow. That's awesome. So I want to keep talking about food and I hope you're comfortable talking mm-hmm. about this, but in your, in your book, you talk about, you know, how you struggled with eating disorders and that's also mm-hmm. really common among, especially female endurance athletes. So true. So as going to like a mono diet sort of helped you or any, any tools that it, have helped you cope with, you know, eating disorders, especially when you run long distances, that's tough. So though, when I was going through my eating disorder, so that was after I got clean and sober and still I was in that state of where I wanted something to be able to control. And so Mm. what else could it be was food. What was I putting in my mouth? And the reason why, I mean, a lot of people didn't know I was, I wasn't, I didn't have friends that were runners at the time. And the only people that saw me were my family. And I had gained weight after you quit doing speed. I was like, you know, 95 pounds. And then you quit doing that and you start, you know, eating normal, you're going to gain weight, you know? And I wasn't exercising yet. You know, it was like all of a sudden I gained like 10 pounds, you know, because I wasn't doing drugs anymore. And so then I started watching what I was eating and then started controlling what I was eating. And at that point I started you know, I was working out in the gym and then eventually started running. So the thinner I got, I was just saying, oh, it's because I'm vegan and I'm running. And the reality was I was, I got into this whole, you know, downward spiral of controlling everything that I was putting in my mouth. So, so I was, I would go days just with eating like 
two apples a day and then go out and exercise like a, a crazy person. And, you know, I just needed to control something, you know, I didn't have my drugs anymore. And I just got into this vicious cycle of just controlling everything that went into my mouth. And I got thinner and thinner. And at one point I was like running and I was like rollerblading and I was coming back from the gym and it was really hot out. And I barely made it to my porch and my mom was there and I passed out. I mean, I was to that point where I wasn't even eating and I weighed myself, you know, every second of the day. And it's like, if you gained an ounce and I have to go out and exercise more. So I went to the doctors and my doctor was like, do you have an eating disorder? And I'm like, of course not. You know, I don't know. And she's like, when was the last time you had a period? And so I, you know, I, I, once again, I was out doing, you know, exercising like crazy. And at one point I felt like I was having a heart attack and it scared the hell out of me. Mm. And I started doing ultras at this point. And I met a guy and I was telling him I was going to do a hundred miler. And he said, you're too skinny to do a hundred miles. You're not going to ever survive out there. And that kind of clicked. You know, I thought, I love what I do and I love running and I'm not happy with, you know, trying to focus on this weight. And I started, you know, I had a therapist and I went back to her and started talking to her more and we kind of worked through it. I was able to start writing more about it and being able to see what I was doing to myself, you know, and, and get past all of that. So I kind of healed myself by reading and by having you know, my therapist helping me and it was pretty scary. You know, I definitely got down to pretty low. I think it was like my lowest was like 84, 85 pounds, pretty low, Yikes. pretty well, scary. I'm so impressed that you've recovered and you are just kicking butt and such an inspiration to so many people. So I think one of the bravest things is writing your story for the world to see. So this book comes out soon any thoughts about, you know, having put it all out there, like your process and what you're looking forward to most? I, you know, I did this because there's so many women that need a woman writer. I mean, there's not a lot of books put out there by a lot of women endurance athletes. There's very few. There's a lot more, if you look, on men writing books. Yep. And I want women to know that they can go out and do stuff. Like I've done speed records on the John Muir trial. I go out in the wilderness by myself. I'm trying to show women that they can be brave and they don't have to have somebody with them to go do things, you know, just be safe, carry a spot or satellite phone. If you're way out in the back country and you know, you don't have reception and you're going to be out there for a couple of days, fast packing and running. But I want to just let women know, you know, just because you're a certain age doesn't mean you can't do something. I hate when people always say, Oh, I'm too old. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, fifties, I can't run. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm the same age as you. <laughs> How can you not run? It's because you choose not to. It's just an excuse. I just want to inspire other women. And there's a lot of people out there that don't really talk about their story. So I know they'll be able to connect and they already have. I mean, I get emails all the time and it's just, I want to put it out there. So people know that they're not alone, that the people have gone through what they've gone through. Sometimes you feel like you're all alone and you're like the only one that's going through something. But, you know, I just want to be out there and, and talk about it more. So younger people can see, you know, it's like you could get into running and be cool. You know, I thought runners were a bunch of nerds and geeks. It's like, <laughs> no, you could be a hipster and be a runner too, you know, cause I got the whole fashion thing going on and I'm 
you know, the cool kid running with the tattoos and, you know, just, you could be however you want, be yourself and you could be a runner, you know, and have fun. Oh, I just laugh because I used to think runners were such geeks too, but I'm a runner. <laughs> oh, they are. They, when I started running, I was like, they're a bunch of nerds. When does this book hit shelves? So it, the pre-order, it's going to be delivered May 1st. So I think they said mid-May it will be out. It should be in Barnes and Nobles. It, it will be all over the place. But online right now, they can order it and for pre-order. And I will be traveling to different races this year and, and try to set up things with like my local REIs and, and different places where I'll be racing. I'll be uh, selling my books. So I'll be having copies with me. So, and a lot of the race directors will mention that, you know, that I'll be out there. So that way people will know to come by my book when I'm out there so I can sign it for them. Or if they already have it, then I can sign it whatever races I'll be traveling to. Oh, I highly recommend it. And I'm, you're about to get bombarded with like people asking you for advice, giving you hugs, knowing your story. That's okay. They do already. And awesome. I'm all about that, you know, especially with women, you know, it's like, I never, when people email me, that's one thing I always respond back. I want them to know, you know, I, a girl came up to me at the race this weekend and she goes, the reason I have this hydration pack on is because you did a little mini video about it and I bought it because you liked it. You know, I like that. Awesome. So any advice to just women who want to get into trail running and men, like what, where do we start? What gear do we need to get and how do we start? Good pair of running shoes. That's what I always say. Get a good pair of running shoes. And I'm always going to promote Hoka because they are the most amazing shoes. I've been wearing them since 2010. And it's not just because I'm sponsored by them. I am only passionate about things I really like. But let me tell you, having a good pair of comfy shoes will definitely help. And maybe they'll want to go with something minimal after that. I mean, Hoka does make more minimal shoes nowadays, but they're very comfortable. And I always say, get out. And don't run like they're, they teach you in high school. You know, when we're in high school, they're like, okay, you got to run as fast as you can around the track. That's not how you get into a running program. You're going to want to feel like you're having a heart attack and it's not going to be fun. So I tell people start by running like three minutes, just set your little watch and do an easy jog and start by doing that. So do a three minute run, a five minute walk, three minute run, and do that for like 30 minutes and build up to you're doing that for an hour and then just start adding another minute of the running in there, you know, and just make it fun because your body, especially when you're starting out on a program, you don't want to get injured. You can get shin splints and then you get derailed and you're like, this sucks. Running sucks. I mean, who wants to run? It hurts, you know, but if you start out simple and easy and have fun and just, you know, do it slow and steady and build your way up. So I have more questions, but quick, your love affair with the John Muir trail. That trail. I mean, I, I just absolutely love it. So me, my friend, Linda and Suzanne, we attempted it many, many years ago. And my friend Suzanne actually broke her arm when we were out on it. The first time I attempted it and we were trying to go for a speed record. And later on when we got off trail, she had an x-ray and she, to make a long story short, it's in the book though, but she actually had malignant melanoma and a tumor had eaten away at her bone. And so her arm just like cracked. Mm. And so we had a hike out. And so she passed away like six months after she got diagnosed. And so after that, I thought I need to get back out on that trail and kind of do it for her and do it for me. So I went back out and did it and then decided, you know, the second time I was out there, I heard about this, somebody doing a double of the John Muir trial. And I was like a double and out and back. 
And so I decided to do a double the next year. And I heard it with the record was 12 days or 14 days. And I did in 12 days and four hours and 57 minutes. And then every year after that, I used it as training. I just go out there and fast pack and just, you know, run, hike, run, hike, run, hike, sleep, you know, and just back and, you know, go out there every year. And I haven't done it for the last three years, but I'm definitely now that I'm moving to the east side of the Sierras, I'm going to hop back on there and get back out there because I swear that's just like the best training. You feel like you've died and gone to heaven when you're out there. There's no place on earth you would rather be. It's the most beautiful place to be along that trail. You caused me to be on the Yosemite website like every day reading your book so I could try and convince my fiance to like come out there and rent a house for the summer and we could just like train every day and run. It's like so fun. Oh yeah. Well, when I move to Bishop, you'll have to come. We'll have an extra room and I'll take, take you out on a tour. <laughs> you know, we ask all of our, our guesses, but any advice you'd give to 15 year old Katra, if you had to go back and you could go back and, you know, tell yourself one piece of advice. And we ask everyone this because 15 is usually a pretty rough time for a lot of kids. You're usually a sophomore in high school. It's and true. If you yeah. could go back, you know, what would you tell your 15 year old self? To love yourself that, you know, don't get caught up in trying to be like, do what your friends are doing and, and don't be a follower, be a leader. I mean, I'm a leader now, but back in those days, just, you know, I had two older sisters that I looked up to and they were partying and I tried to be too old. <laughs> I was 15 and I looked 12, but I was trying to be 18. <laughs> so I would just say, I would tell myself, you know what, just be yourself. Don't, don't be a follower, be a leader. Without giving away your book, you dealt with some death in your life quite a bit, actually. You know, what has death taught you about life? It taught me that life is short and that you need to just get out and live and don't live in the past. Go just live like moment to moment and don't get too far ahead of yourself. Of course, you got to plan because you want to do races and plan events, but just live each day. Like get out. That's why I get out to the trail every single day. I may not see that that trail tomorrow. I may not be here, you know? And so I don't take anything for granted. I am just grateful that I'm alive. Each morning I wake up, I'm like, yes, it's another day. I'm alive. Get out and inspire people. Do you have any other rituals besides like waking up and just being grateful that you do every morning to keep going? Because what you do is, is hard. You've chosen a path that it looks glamorous, but I mean, you create everything you do. You go hustle sponsors, like I don't know any ultra runners making a ton of money. Like you've chosen a path that's really noble. Yeah. You're not going to be a millionaire. (laughs) It ain't easy. So what are some tactics to conquer this? Like maybe self doubt, fear, the desire to keep going every day. You know what? I just think about people that I know that, you know, I know people that have cancer right now. I know people that are super sick or injured and they can't ever run again or people that have passed away. And I think I get up when I get up in the morning, when I'm having self-doubt like that, I'm like, there is nothing wrong with me. You know, it's just like, you got to get out and live for the people that can't run. And that's why I feel when I'm in a race, if I start getting that little like negative energy, I go, come on. I mean, look at all the people that will change places in a heartbeat with you. If they could have my health, they'd say, you come have my cancer and I'll take what you're doing right now and the suffering that you're doing over what I'm going through. So it's all about that. You know, I really, really do. I mean, even people that I don't know that I, 
you know, just read a story about somebody. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm just getting out there for these people. Well, you've definitely lived. So any advice to others to live more wildly? You know, if you could leave us with one piece of advice or sometimes it's a cheesy question, but I like it anyway. If you could fly, you know, an eco-friendly plane around the world and it could have one message, you know, what's your message? Have fun. That's epic advice. Kasia, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, go get the book, Reborn on the Run. Check out Katra on social media at Dirt Diva 333. We'll link to more on Katra in the show notes, as well as a video of her by the crew at Hoka One One. Thank you to REI for supporting this show, to everyone who helps me with this show, to Chelsea, Annie, and Kayla. I really appreciate all of your help. To you for listening. Thank you so much for writing our reviews. Tell your friends you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever you downloaded this podcast and are listening. Don't forget, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We have great guests, including the author, Cheryl Strayed, coming up. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.